0: What you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences and I've always sort of found you would see things that you would not automatically have come across.
1: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. I'm your host Scott Chaloner and once again I'll be exploring a new perspective on leadership joined each week by a different CEO, CFO, director, president, government minister and who knows maybe even one day the foreign secretary once his hands are a little less tied up with goings-on in Hong Kong of course. The aim here is to discover who these people are, the people who get up each morning and make this country work. We discuss everything from where that idea to start a business originates, right through to how the product of that vision then innovates. And of course, the success that makes the endeavour entirely worthwhile in the end. We also get their take on the current economic and political landscape here in the UK. I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Gary Gallen, founder of R Radar. The firm's services include providing legal and business support to all organisations, including employment, HR, health and safety, litigation, disputes, corporate, commercial and other business related law areas. Founded by Gallen as a one-man startup back in 2012, he has since grown the firm into an expanding company with well over 100 employees, with bases in Hull, Leeds and Glasgow, and still looking to expand its presence as of today. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present Gary Gallen. Gary, very warm welcome to you, and thank you ever so much for joining us on the programme today.
0: Good afternoon, sir. I'm delighted to be able to join you. This- to some questions
1: for you in the audience. Yes, a real pleasure having you join us um, as well, Gary. Now, of course, you at Our Radar are a law firm with over 100 employees under you. Tell me, how has your business had to change in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic challenge and how have you adapted to meet the challenges that that has brought about?
0: Yeah, we are continuing to adapt, actually, with the changes. I think the the uncertainty element of certain um, issues related to COVID-19, so for example, um, do we wear face masks? Is it public transport only or in other circumstances and um, air conditioning systems in different premises that you rent for your staff? There's things to adapt to all the time, Scott, but in essence, we are a young business. We um, were formed only a few short years ago. We're moving from um, that startup properly into scaling phase. And I think that that stood us in good stead, that in one way we're relatively agile and young. We haven't got ad- um, legacy systems and technology problems. We've got cloud solutions. We've got laptops and telefo- mobile telephones, headsets, which meant that we were... Um, quick and able to have people working from home, productive, engaged with each other, engage with clients quite seamlessly, and extremely proud of every member of staff, actually, at every level of the business, the different teams, whether they be the, the Scottish team, whether they the Birmingham office, the um, office leads, everybody was collectively on board with what needed to be done. Downloading software for communication with everybody on multiple different types of platform, it was one of the challenges to train everybody on how to use all of the different um, tools that are available there because clients talk in many different platforms. Mm. Um, but no, we were very proud of the staff. And I think that young business and the fact that our technology is new and we were cloud based and had a flexible working program and are a business where quite a lot of our work is done with clients and in client premises, we were able to move pretty damn quickly.
1: Mm. That's incredibly encouraging that that transition to remote working has almost been seamless given sort of the nature of the business pre-pandemic. So it's been quite easy, I can imagine, sort of being that business leader almost from a distance, I suppose, hasn't it?
0: I think so. And as, as a leader, being able to trust the staff who have, have risen to the occasion, being incredibly competent. Obviously personal lives and professional lives have suddenly clashed together in a way never seen before. The the nuances now of communication that we're into the month four of lockdown and slowly looking for confidence of how the economy and the country and the in fact will start to come out of lockdown was immediately seen that in America, as they started to, to ease lockdown and try to get the economy moving, that there has been um, incredible growth in testing of coronavirus positive cases and lockdown being reimposed. And of course, we have it here in the UK in Leicester, very close to one of our offices. So the, the business was um, in a good position technology-wise, attitude framework, um, And in terms of being that challenger business in our sector anyway. But I have to say that we recently recruited some um, directors, non-executive director for the first time, a new strategic people director, strategic finance director and they hit the ground running. And within a few short days and weeks of having joined the business, were faced with this challenge and their skill sets were tremendous in helping manage communication and the business transition for our partners and for our customers as well. So that people director and that finance director, I think you'd agree two absolutely crucial roles to make sure that you kept um, strong management over as we were transitioning. Mm-hmm. And we'd got brilliant new recruits that have just folded into the business um, and what we're about, what needed to be done brilliantly. So as a relatively new team, as the CEO and founder, I was massively encouraged with how quickly those new entrants and skill sets came to bear and has helped the whole of the business.
1: And just how important has mental health and well-being been during this time? Because people of course react to certain things differently, let alone a crisis such as this. So I can imagine that having to manage that has also thrown up a challenge of its own as well.
0: Yes, a very good question. Uh, It couldn't be more important. Um, We've recently communicated with our staff taking that into account off the back of individual conversations, individual surveys about their confidence, um, about returning to work, the office space that we occupied before, public transport, um, the the cleanliness of the office using functions and copiers and um, lifts to get in and out of city centre offices. So we've been having high communication with our staff. And I think that that is helping tremendously, um, keeping people connected, keeping people informed, and giving them clear decisions from the senior team as we agree on as a board what processes we will go to engage with the staff, letting them know what that process is, what the time limits are, how they'll be communicated with, what we're trying to engage with them on decision by decision to get their um, engagement and support of. So we do seem to be having... um, good communication with the staff, but we take nothing for granted. And and again, I suppose our our new people director and our HR existing team have been absolutely crucial um, to keeping communication levels high and helping the leadership team have awareness of the dynamics of the workforce, who has got carer responsibilities, childcare issues, who has got relatives that are being shielded, medical conditions it's been really important to have trust and communication on those issues to keep um, people informed and confident and we've looked then at other social activities and communications and some of them are um shall we say, um, fun and social things we've been trying to do as well with people, just encourage, you know, ask fun facts about each other when you're talking digitally in conversations. Mm. We did that at the board just recently Um, and it helps to just um, get people connected on that fun level. You're not um, next to each other and able to have a chat just in the corridor anymore or next to the coffee making machine. So we're trying to introduce that in other ways into the business. And we've created a specific hub, a specific content area uh, of our intranet to help encourage this as well. And a number of members of our staff are, are expertly trained in these sorts of areas as well. One part of our business is in the front line on a daily basis, providing support and confidence to our business clients, helping them manage crises and problem and transition and change. In our clients' businesses is a core part of what we provide as a service. So having those skills to provide for others, we've had the benefit of them within our own business as well, if that makes sense, Scott.
1: Mm, certainly does uh, make sense. And um, I think um, you're absolutely right in um, a lot of those points. Um, it's really raised um, questions over our working practices uh, this uh, period of time, for sure. And I think also we've taken that sort of human interaction side of the office space for granted prior to the, uh, the pandemic as well. And considering that for a moment, if we do sort of fast forward maybe two or three years and we're then in a world hopefully where COVID-19 is no longer an issue, do you think that there still is going to be a place for that office environment to be back fully in vogue? Or do you see more and more people actually working from home on a personal basis?
0: I think a hybrid. Um, I think that there will there be a requirement for people to come together and physically socialise, conduct workshops, um, socially bond as well as professionally bond. I think yes, and, the, and there is a huge element of emotional, psychological, mental well-being attached to that. So we mustn't become too disin- disconnected. I think the, the pandemic is certainly accelerating um, people's need to address change in their business model, their overhead, their requirement to ask every member of staff to be in an office so they can see the back of their head. Um, Trust. Do you trust the people that work with you and that they can be effective, that they can be productive, healthy, well and happy working other than being in the office location every single day? So I think it's going to accelerate that requirement of trust in relationship we talk about it a lot in employment law Um, this will make good on that promise in many respects that we will be um, honouring that trust by letting people have more flexible working rotational um, staff rotors um, uh, home working more absolutely remote working whichever term that you want to put onto it but more adaptable dynamic working practice where Asking people to be in at a fixed hour of the morning and a fixed hour in the evening to carry out their work unless, unless they've, they've been clocking in and clocking out at those times is not effective. I think that's, that perception will go. Mm. But I also think it's different for different industries. So different rules will apply um, to if you're carrying out dining and provision of meals and you're in hospitality and leisure where you need to, obviously that's a a service where you're together with other people. There's different in manufacturing, construction industry. So it will apply differently to different business models but certainly for ours. We already were quite flexible but this is accelerating the internal conversation with our teams and to look at being more adaptable going forward. And I think one of the things that I had tried hard to do was to look at a building and create rooms that were there for a purpose. And so that we looked at the activities that we wanted to carry out as a business internally and then externally with partners and clients and the kind of client-centered business that we wanted to be. So we created rooms and space and environments that were welcoming, that were less traditional, very unlawyer-like. Um, in terms of you know, the colour of the walls, the size of the space, the name of the rooms, et cetera. So that we started to look at space in terms of what that space needs to have a purpose. It should be driving to an outcome, and that outcome should be to provide a successful outcome to the clients that we serve and that we want to work for. So I think it will make people look at space. It will mm-hmm. make them look at their building not just on the basis do we need less square footage because we're going to allow people to work at home, but we do need to get our teams together and we do need to be able to work work with clients. So can we create the space? Can we reconfigure that space so it's more welcoming, it's more attractive, and it's got purpose for use? And I think um, that's an important aspect that it should be driving and some of the conversations I'm having that, Um, space for space sake is no point. You need to look at the activities within it and the collaboration and communication. So we may have staff to come into the office, but it will be for a fixed purpose in a fixed space driving to particular outcomes that we all agree on with clients and partners and with with staff and leadership as well, that that space at that time with those people in it is for real and relevant purpose, if that makes sense as well, Scott.
1: Mm, certainly does make sense. And of course, during this time, I suppose, within businesses as employees, it's quite easy when we need that little bit of direction and reassurance to sort of look further up the hierarchical ladder, as it were, to the executives, CEOs, etc, for that reassurance and that direction. But when you're at the top of the business, like yourself, for example, I'm interested to understand where in times of crisis such as this, you actually look to for inspiration with there being nobody above you such?
0: Oh great question and I think the role of a leader is to continually find out what a leader should be um, and so role models and learning I think are a hallmark of, of, a, of a leader so I have been looking in my career that I've met um, some fantastic people that are now good mentors for me that are non-lawyers, not from my background, men and women of uh, business um, and great leadership qualities, where I'm not trying to mimic them and being exactly trying to change who I am, but I recognize there are things that I'm good at and things that I'm not so good at and where I need to hone those skills and get help and support. And as the CEO, the founder and shareholder of, um, decisions, um, ultimately, responsibility and accountability, everything comes back to you. Mm. So where are the sounding boards outside of the business that you can trust and that you can go to to challenge yourself, to hold you to account? Um, Be honest and open with yourself if you're not getting something right, so that there's somebody you can go to that will help you show why and how to adapt and be better and go back to your business then and be a more informed, better leader. But I read a lot. Um, The internet's great for access to all sorts of um, fantastic talks and supporting um, frameworks, and I still go on courses. Um, So... Stock Exchange Elite program to go and learn from other entrepreneurs in other businesses, to be with peers, to test you and challenge you and fine tune things is a great environment. And then the experts that come in facilitating those conversations, looking at aspects of your business. Um, or Cambridge, the Cambridge Judge Business School, another fantastic learning program. So don't think that you know everything, be willing to go off and find places to learn from. You've got to be careful where you look so that you are getting relevant research, relevant um, advice, um, but I think you need those physical touch points, those people that have trod the road that you're already on, that you trust and that will help you, but be yourself. Out of all of that learning and about of all of those mentors, be sure of your own style, be confident in who you are, don't try and pretend to be somebody else and take those bits of learning and adapt them to be in the kind of authentic leader that you need to be. Because I do think if you're not, people find you out.
1: Now, we've talked about that word learning on a couple of occasions there when discussing leadership. Um, Do you think it's actually possible to become a good leader without actually having that experience of trying things, getting things wrong and learning from them, because it's almost as if we're in a constant process of development in that sense. We're never the finished article as such, are we?
0: Oh, absolutely. There's a quote that is a favorite of mine. The more the, that you learn, the more they realize you don't know. Um, and I love that. And I think part of also the skill is not just the attitude and the willingness to, to learn, There is a phrase that came out of Silicon Valley that I detest um, about fail fast. Um, I don't subscribe to that at all. I think a much better phrase is learn fast. Don't introduce the negativity of fail. It's all learning. Um, If your infant child um, tries to stand up for the first time and falls over, that's not failure. That's just learning, and you don't encourage them to never try again, or you know. So you have just got to keep going at it, yeah. And you strengthen, and you get better at it, and more coordination. And you keep on going. So I think um, those simple skills are what we need to remember as big kids when we're adults in the world that we're still actually kids in many respects, and we're still learning. And the adaptability of today's marketplace. I think you need to be skilled in being willing to unlearn and what I mean by that is that some of the things that I was taught in my early years of training um, and some of the leadership programs and the, uh, the more rigid ways that we were taught this is what a leader will be and it's command and control and you do this and they do that etc. Um, the the ways that perhaps people were were sharing knowledge and teaching you to behave 20, 25 years ago in your earlier career. You've got to be willing to recognize that that was old learning, perhaps Mm -hmm. not even the best learning at the time. But that's what you were exposed to. That's what you were being presented with. But the world is a very different pace and it moves at a different pace. So be willing to unlearn what you were taught before and learn a new way to be able to work with people and communities Um, And environment and with technology um, and changing working practices today so you still need to be able to carry out certain tasks but throw off the old rigid way that you were taught because it's not for purpose now and learn to be able to do it a different way does that make sense as well Scott
1: it certainly does and um, if therefore based upon the experience that you have now if you were asked to define that word leader what would you say a leader ought to be
0: Oh, well, you, you, you certainly need to have uh, um, confidence, and I think that comes from experience, um, learning, education, the things that we've touched on before. So you do need to um, have the element of confidence that that brings. But you have confidence in early years; it doesn't have to come with twenty-five years of experience. I know one of my frustrations was that people didn't think that I was going to be ineffective. Um, advisor and lawyer and lead on um, complex cases for them when I was younger because they thought that unless you've been doing it for 30 years, you're not safe. Um, and that was a great frustration earlier in my career because people say, oh, you're not experienced enough, you won't be expert enough, you haven't done it enough times. Well, no, I won't be if, I'm, if I've got instructions and you don't trust. So I thought very hard earlier in my career to be able to say I, I have the tools, I have the skills, I know what I'm doing to be able to get there, but that's a, um, a determination and a confidence that you certainly need to bring to the table but also confident to be able to say what you don't know confident to be able to accept that you need to build a team around you that are better than you in so many different ways um, so my team that we're busy building at the moment are coming to the table and bringing skills that they're far better than me at in so many respects, which is why I'm asking them to come there because I recognize I'm good at what I do and in the, the realms that I need people to build and scale a business, you need to trust other people with great skills that are better than you in all the aspects of managing the people in the business, the finance of the business, product development, technology, etc., they are all important parts of the orchestra that need to be brought together and play effectively together otherwise you don't achieve so learning an attitude of willingness to to learn an attitude where you will accept that you get things wrong and admit it and that you will take challenge from other people that is constructive and proper to help you realize that so that you'll pivot your dynamic uh, um, ability to succeed in the business. You're not constricted by your rigidity. Um, And so, you know, leadership is that, willingness to learn, willingness to adapt, willingness to challenge yourself and bring great people in around you that will hold you to account. Um, Ego has got to be thrown out of it. Um, Absolutely, ego has got no place in success, in my view. Um, And that's often... Um, mistaken with confidence. Um, But if you have an idea, if you want to live life on your terms, if you believe in a goal and something worthy, be confident and be fixed and be determined in the pursuit of that, but accept advice, accept support, accept that you need to learn to be able to build to that um, grand goal and achieve it successfully. That's part of what I continually address and look at and learn, keep a diary, challenge myself, and ask people to manage me and say, when I'm being too stubborn, if I'm being too rigid, if I'm getting too focused on particular things, am I getting it right? Pull me to one side and have a conversation, please. Where can I be better? Um, And that's taken me some time to learn. And I'll probably still make mistakes, Scott, but Mm -hmm. I'm trying to have good people around me that challenge me and are strong and that I trust implicitly that you take that advice and that support from and that we're all working to the same common goal. But absolutely be confident and be determined in your vision and your goal. Don't be changing that all of the time. Otherwise, the business that you're trying to lead doesn't know in which direction you're going.
1: I can certainly see where you're coming from, from that point of view, Gary. There are some huge things to take away from that. And it feeds very nicely, in fact, um, about surrounding yourself with good people that you trust. Um, to a quote from Nelson Mandela, surround yourself with people who are better than you are. And I think that that is some of the biggest pieces, was one of the biggest pieces of advice, rather, that you could give to somebody looking to sort of start out in their business, for sure. Now, um, Gary, it's been, of course, two years since our radar has a firm featured in the Parliamentary Review, an indispensable guide to best practice within industry, of course. And you mentioned in your article back in 2018 that you instilled something called the R-Radar Positive Culture within the business. Perhaps you could tell us just a little bit more about that and how that feeds into your sort of personal leadership style.
0: Well, um, when we were asked to um, speak um, and be part of that parliamentary review, it was a great privilege for the business, and I think a few short years previously when we were being founded, um, our change model, our platform of confidence that we're trying to build for staff within as well as for the clients without, um, was seen as a little bit too ambitious, um, too unique. Had not been tried or built before and was probably doomed to fail. <laughs> and so we couldn't get funding, we couldn't get access to um, certain support and things. So that's where, yeah, where the confidence and the determination is. And having worked a particular way and seen a problem in the market for over 20 years, I, w- I was absolutely fixed um, that there was an authentic business to pursue. When you took a legal services model, a risk management model, wanted to work with the insurance and broking industry, and then you were going to take technology and an educational approach to fuse all of that together, you can see why people might have thought that's overly ambitious, it's too difficult to do, it won't succeed. So by the time we were being asked by the parliamentary review to talk about alternative um, new challenger models, We had been confident, we had recruited a brilliant team, and we were already delivering fantastic service for partners into the financial services industry with that new platform of digital tools, education, and professionals working together to share knowledge in a new and unique fashion. What we're trying to do is take that legal acumen of many experts across the profession, bring them together with teachers and technologists, and share the knowledge to try and show people what they can do how they can avoid risk, how they don't have to be in conflict, how they can avoid crisis, and how they can perform um, and be more efficient as businesses, not frightened of rules and compliance and regulate, where we help them, adapt them, embrace them and understand them and work with them effectively to achieve better as businesses. Where we are today, two years further on, is probably with having doubled the size of the business, more than doubled the size of the business in that time, Um, we've been able to successfully repay our um, equity investors that we did go to down in London to help us scale the business once we'd proved the model works. And we're now um, an independent board signing new contracts with new partners, recruiting more people, changing the business, definitely, because we're at that very interesting point where that hundred-odd people now working in several different city locations for clients across the UK, that model having been proven, we're now going to that next stage of system and process and structure and coordination of so many people in the business now and so many clients accessing the platform to grow again and to scale further. We have to reshape and change within the business again. So I think what we, we said back in 2018 holds true. And the successes there with the clients that are contracting with us year after year, asking us to still support them year after year, and more and more coming to us, and we're we're growing and recruiting. That's not to say that COVID nineteen didn't mean, like everybody else, some things that business partners has approached us to do, they've paused and didn't want to proceed with because it was new and they were more interested in managing their business, et cetera, um, and were going into lockdown, so they didn't want to start things new. Mm. I think we will see that start to come back, um, and I think we will start to see that come back this year. There's not much of it at the moment because there's still a lack of confidence and uncertainty of what might happen in the next month or two. But I think that confidence will come back both with it's in our business, but we'll start to see it in the economy and in our business partners. We'll be able to start to be able to see the next generation of product, the next iteration of support. But I think too much of the economy and too many of our business partners are still just working out what their target operating model is, what changes they still need to go through, furlough needs to unwind and a few other things, getting back to schools for the carer issues for people with families is a little bit more certain, but confidence is there and there will be success. There is great entrepreneurial spirit in the UK, there's some brilliant business leaders that I talk to and work with, it will come back, it's just a little bit of a question of time at the moment, Scott.
1: Mm, I can certainly see uh, where you're coming from uh, there, Gary. It is still uncertain times over the course of the uh, the next few months as we embrace the challenges of the, uh, the new normal and what that might bring with it for sure. And um, we will, of course, touch on what that might bring for yourself and our radar in a little moment. Um, but first and foremost, given the experience that you've had in, of course, growing the business, not just over the last two years, but before then, and also managing the crisis that we're going through at this point in time, if you did have the opportunity to actually go back back maybe 10 years, is there anything that you would do differently going forward?
0: If I went back 10 years, yes. The mistakes that I know that I've made, I wouldn't make them again (laughs) (laughs) because I've learned a lot. Um, And it was was like another great quote from another great person that I follow a lot of teachings from, Muhammad Ali. Mm. My father was a heavyweight boxer and so probably as a youngster I got used to being thrown in the ring and and, and learning things the hard way and getting punched a few times. Um, But Muhammad Ali was once asked a question, um, are you different now to what you were 10 years ago? And Muhammad Ali said, if I was not different now to what I was 10 years ago, then I failed. And I hold that very dear because you've got to be open, you've got to learn and you've got to grow. So yes, I've learned what not to do and the better things to do over those 10 years. And to be honest with you, I had some family circumstances, a special needs boy in and out of hospital, Great Ormond Street, um, profound learning difficulties and um, physical needs and things, and other children managing all of that in your personal life. I probably procrastinated a little bit too long about setting off on this journey and building this earlier but I think until um, some of those circumstances and the care and the understanding of fundamental health and survival rates, etc., cetera, um, I used it, I think, as a little bit too long as an excuse. And I looked at my son one day and I said, the world will be a better place. I think if we build this business and we start sharing and helping people, so um, I'm going to get on and I'm going to do it. So resigning then from the big what was perceived to be being an equity partner of the world's biggest law firm, a lot of people told me it was a crazy decision. Um, so if I was going back 10 years, I'd probably not procrasti- procrastinate as long, looked my son Daniel in the face and said, I need to get on with it, don't I, lad? You're fighting and battling every day, no excuses. I'm going to go and build a new business. I'd have started earlier and I would have embraced my mistakes and I would have tried to have moved faster if I knew not what to do back then, if that makes sense as well, Scott.
1: It certainly does make sense, and having reflected on the past, Gary, it only serves, of course, as I said, that we touch on the the future before we do wrap things up on the program. Over the course of the next sort of twelve to eighteen months, what do you envision for yourself, Gary Gallon and for our radar? And what do you really hope to achieve as we move through the pandemic into the new normal and really begin to embrace those challenges? Uh,
0: good question, and. I think um, to deliver on the promise that I've made to my clients and the staff that we will um, work with more clients help more people succeed with all of the rule changes compliance issues and uncertainty around um, COVID-19 and business at the moment we have a confidence to us we are a business that's used to dealing with crisis and conflict and calamity in courtrooms and litigations deaths death in the workplace, fatal accidents, etc., fraud, bribery, corruption. We we know all of these things. We've worked with it as, as practitioners for years the old way. For me, over the next 12 to 18 months, I need to deliver to my staff and to my clients and partners that promise that we will share more, we will learn more, we will provide more confidence to the people that we work with and help them show that they can grow and that they can be successful, they can interpret this new world, this new compliance and regulatory world that we're in. Brexit's almost forgot about in many respects, but it will be there as another challenge. We must rise to that challenge and help more people get the economy stood back up. That would be success for me. Deliver that goal, deliver that promise, help that many people and be a business of purpose. And I think if we are that, then we'll be successful in every other respect and we'll continue to recruit, grow the business and extend beyond the shores of the UK and start to help more people with that model as well. Because in my career, I've been lucky enough to work in many jurisdictions and I see the same gap not just in the UK but in many other countries as well that needs to be filled and uh, this collaboration um, knowledge exchange model I think is part of the platform world of the future that we need to embrace. I'd be delighted if we were still pioneers of that for our industry sector leading it forward providing thought leadership and at the end of the day I get a great kick out of the thanks and the um, the support that we get from clients that said we had a, we were struggling we couldn't see a way forward with this decision you helped us do it thank you very much Um that's the best reward that you can get and i love that when that happens both for the team and the whole of the business
1: it sounds like there are some fantastic aims uh, there uh, gary for the, uh, the future some big big ambitions and you know, given how informative it's been discussing this with you today, I think it would be incredible to perhaps have you back on the programme in a few months' time to join us again just to see exactly how those hopes are being borne out and assess just exactly what the new normal looks like as well.
0: I'd be delighted, Scott. Thank you for wanting to listen to it. A- of an old nut from up north in England and you know, what having you think that there's something valuable in
1: that, you're very kind. Oh no Gary, it's been a hugely insightful experience having you join us, not just from my perspective but also from a listener's point of view I'm sure as well and also a real, real pleasure and um, until we do hopefully speak again in the future, which I'm certain we will, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on in the world at the moment because as we both know I'm sure, we're certainly not quite out of the woods with the COVID-19 situation as of yet.
0: Yeah, well thank you very much and I'd reflect that back and, and stay healthy and sane as much in equal measure as you can do yourself, Scott.
1: <laughs> and that goes for anybody tuning into this. Do be sensible, stay home where you can and look after yourselves because it really does make a big difference in saving lives. That was Gary Gallant speaking, founder of R Radar. I hope you all enjoyed the interview and of course learning more about how the whole team at the practice is continuing to raise standards even throughout this challenging time. Coming up next on the programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with former England cricket captain Sir Andrew Strauss. Since his retirement from playing, Sir Andrew has become the director of cricket for the England and Wales Cricket Board. However, during his days as a player, Sir Andrew joined an illustrious club of just three England cricket captains to have secured the ashes, both at home and away in Australia. He also racked up the second highest number of test victories for an England skipper in history during his career. I hope that you enjoy listening to the interview just as much as Jonathan Radish the opportunity to speak with Sir Andrew himself and all of that is coming up next.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan White and today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB. Sir Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. ashes series is one of the greatest sporting moments of this country's history now we could chat for hours about that but i know uh i wouldn't be allowed to and 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 you've got (laughs) other places to be so (laughs) we can't do that but i if i may i would love to ask what your highlight was personally for that but perhaps more importantly um as a team how were you able as a group to deal with the pressure no doubt you were feeling
3: yeah, well, the the pressure is like nothing else that I experienced before or after. Because You know, I think it's easy to forget how how much of a holy grail the Ashes was mm. back then. You know, we hadn't won it for so long, and it seemed like we'd come up against these invincible Australian teams year after year. So, you know, the, the closer we got to it, the harder it became. Um, I remember Ashley Giles walking into the dressing room, for the f- I think it was in, Final day of the series, and I looked at him, and he looked absolutely terrible—like <laughs> just white of a sheet, grey. He looked like aged about five years. I went, "God, Charlie, you're not looking too good." And he went, "Yeah, it's not surprising. I haven't slept for eight weeks." <laughs> and I went, "Well, join the club." Quite. You know, and I think we'd all been sort of living this behind our own closed doors, and um, yeah, was it, it just an extraordinary thing. And uh, without doubt, the the highlight was they'll feel comforted. There'll be a degree of, sort of psychological safety or, some, or whatever it might you might term to, to make sure that the, the team comes together when the going gets tough. If they genuinely don't believe you care about them and you're in it for yourself, it um, doesn't matter how charismatic you might be. It doesn't matter you know, how gregarious and, and how um, impressive you might be as a person. They will be wary of you.
2: Were there qualities that you had developed you'd found out you had as England captain that you were able to bring over the job
3: um, okay, so the first thing was we had this unbelievable opportunity of the World Cup on home soil in yes. two thousand and nineteen uh, I was firstly, I was sick and tired of watching us make the same mistakes in World Cups, and this includes my time as captain. We just kept it on sleepwalking our way into it and pretending everything would be on the r- all right mm. on the night, and it never was. players focus and interest Um, and we had to move in fact we didn't have to move at times we need to get ahead of the time (laughs) so you know we had to completely shift out both our philosophy but also the way we played in order to do that Um, and I was very lucky uh, having both Trevor Bayliss and Owen Morgan who were prepared to sort of role model that and lead that through Um, and the second part of your question around The World Cup final was quite extraordinary.
2: I know some fantastically avid cricket fans who were Googling there and then what exactly the rules became because I Yeah, well so was, <laughs> it I, was I actually <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Um now and you in your in your wife's memory, you established the Ruth Strauss Foundation last year. Uh, in doing so, whether you'd admit it or not, yourself and the foundation has become an inspiration to thousands, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. Please do take some time if you wouldn't mind and you
1: As always, it has been a pleasure both listening to and learning from our guests. I've been your host, Scott Challoner, and I hope you all enjoyed listening. Until next time, since sadly all of the pubs haven't quite reopened at the time of recording, I will be sitting in my front room and raising a glass to raising standards. Hopefully, I'll be back in the usual spot in the Westminster Arms very soon. Remember, look after yourselves, stay home where you can, control the virus and save lives goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find every episode on iTunes, YouTube and Spotify. The views expressed by each guest in the podcast are their own. They do not represent the opinions of the Parliamentary Review, Westminster Publications, Lord Pickles, Lord Blunkett, David Curry or any other guest on the podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Parliamentary Review, please visit www.theparliamentaryreview.co.uk.